church, Numbers chapter 27 is, is, is we're starting to see, remember we, we said the first part of the book of Numbers was really them kind of uh, their, their, their mess ups, their failures, their kind of, you know, that, that trend of humanity that we talk about, the ups and downs of even our own personal lives. It's like we've got it together, we're at the tippity top of the mountain, and then we start coming down into our mess. And then we pick back up, we kind of get our gears back right, and we get back up, and then we fall again. You know, I mean, the Bible talks about this rhythm of humanity that we go through. It says the righteous will stumble, speaking of God's people. You know, we're talking about Christians here this morning that the Bible tells us Solomon wrote the righteous will stumble seven times but they'll get back up because there's something unique about what God does and the relationship he has with his people you know and that's that unique thing that differentiates Christianity from any other religious organization or religious outfit that there is is the way that our God deals with us it's just different it's different. Remember, we've talked about it. Christianity is not a religion trying to get to its God. Christianity is a religion where its God came down to it and did what it needed to do to bring us about into this space that he's called us to. It's that faithfulness of God that continues to show and to continue to reveal itself. And so this morning, I want us to kind of focus on that word faithfulness. And so how do we build faith within ourselves and the faithfulness, leaning into the faithfulness of God? And, and here in chapter 27 of Numbers, we see two situations that I believe can really point us to what it means to, to walk in God's faithfulness and to be faithful to God and how we navigate situations and struggles. And so... We'll start in Numbers chapter 27, verses 1 through 4, as we kind of intro into this. But the first thing this morning that I want us to see that helps us build our faith, helps us grow spiritually, helps us continue building up into the people, the person, the, 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 the church, uh, the, 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 the move of God that he's called us to be. The first thing is this, that helps build that, it's persistent pursuit of his promises. Persistent pursuit of his promises. Listen, and that's that continual get back up, continual movement, continual progression. You know, and, and we've seen the people of Israel as they, as they were told, like, you'll spend 40 years wandering in the wilderness. But what they do, they continue moving by God's leadership, by the leadership he establishes. They keep moving, even in the midst of their bad decisions, like we talked about last week. They're in situations. They're fighting past, dealing with past problems because of past decisions. But God continues to be persistent in his movement for them. And so even in our past issues, God moves us. God will provide for us paths towards his promises. And so the first thing we'll see this morning is, is, is a, you know, the thing we're challenged with is a persistent pursuit of his promises. In Numbers chapter 27, verse 1 through 4, we see this situation. It says, Then drew near the daughters of Zelophehad, the son of Hefer, the son of Gilead, son of Mekar, son of Manasseh, from the clans of Manasseh, the son of Joseph. The names of the daughters were Malha, Noah, Halgla, and I may or may not be saying these names right, but that's not the focus of the situation right now. Milcah and Tizah. And they stood, I figure if you just add aw to everything, it just sounds like you're saying it in, in Hebrew. So we'll just say it like that. Uh, and they stood before Moses, before Eleazar, the priest, and before the chiefs and all the congregation at the entrance of the tent of meeting. So we see four daughters of this individual, this man who lived in the first generation. Remember, the first generation would not see the promised land. So these people have already died off. The only ones left are Moses and, and Joshua and Caleb. And... So we see, he says here, he says that they come before the congregation at the entrance of the tent of meeting. So this is the Holy of Holies. This is where the, the presence of God is. They come to where the presence of God is and they come to Moses and they say this in verse, verse 3. I mean, I'm sorry, in verse 2. 
Verse 3, sorry. It said this, Our father died in the wilderness. He was not among the company of those who gathered themselves against the Lord in the company of Korah, but died for his own sins, and he had no sons. So why should the name of our father be taken away from his clan? Because he had no son. Give to us a possession among our father's Brothers, And so what we see happening here is a dilemma that had not happened yet up to this point. Is that remember early on when they're talking about the promised land, they begin to divvy up that land. They begin to divvy up this promise that God had said to all the families and all the people. Well, per their culture, the, the father's portion would be distributed first to his son, and that would carry on the name, that would carry on the inheritance, that would carry it on within the family, the immediate family. Well, this particular family did not have a son. He only had four daughters. Now, he had brothers, per the, the situation before that the land would go to the brothers. And so the, the daughters come, and they say they have a dilemma, right? We've had dilemmas leading up to this point, and how did they handle those dilemmas? This is horrible. We were better off in Egypt. Like God's given up on us. Like they're, they're mad. They're frustrated. They're coming against Moses. They're like, we need better leaders. We need better people. And so they, they have a dilemma. Their father was given land by a holy God. Promises of God. And they see these promises. And they see these promises falling away from their family. And what do they say? They go, we, give us that possession. Give us that possession. It's a dilemma. What do they do? They go to Moses and they communicate this to Moses. These, you know, and, and so this, this was not a typical circumstance. This was not a typical circumstance that they had dealt with. But it didn't stop them. It didn't stop them from pursuing these promises. God had promised their family this portion. God had made promises. And and in the midst of a cultural issue here where it would not have been the norm for them to come in this capacity. It would not have been the norm for these ladies to come and to bring this before the people. But it didn't stop them from pursuing and taking hold of their part of the promised land that God had made. You know, and there's something to say here about their boldness, right? When we're pursuing promises of God, despite the circumstantial issues around us, that it takes a sense of boldness to push past uncomfortable circumstances, to push past the difficulties maybe laid out, maybe not by our own doing, but by someone else's doing, and to continue to pursue. Listen, the reality of all of our lives is that the pursuing the promises of God are never going to be easy. We're going to constantly hit roadblock after roadblock, whether it's roadblocks from outside, But what God has called us to do is God has called us to be persistent and to pursue, to fight past all the issues, to fight past all the problems, to fight past all the ways that the enemy tries to convince us that we're not bold enough. It feels so much better when I can hear myself. Boldness to fight past the opposition that tells us that this isn't yours. It, it, we, have to, we have to believe that, that, that their own internal conversation had to be with a little bit of fear and doubt of like, 
I mean, are they even going to hear us out on this? Like, are they going to give this to us? Are they going to allow us to do this? Are they going to stone us? Are they going to exile us for even bringing this up? Because this isn't the norm. But they had boldness. And they went before God. They went to the man of God. And they didn't complain. They didn't get angry. They didn't push back and, and, and fight. They said, not in greed, but in confidence. Give us this promise. Give us this promise. Man, that we would be a Christian people that would pursue the promises of God with that type of boldness, right? Not worried about, not worried about the opposition, not worried about the reasons why either the situation isn't right for us to, to pursue it or that we're not right to pursue it. Because they could have very easily said, we're not the sons, it's not ours. We're not the right people for it. We've not done the right things for it. But they said, no. They said, no, this is ours. This is our family's inheritance. This is the promises of God. And they pursued it. You know, and, and, and they didn't. They didn't get angry. They didn't rebel. They didn't stir up strife. They sought answers by seeking God. Listen, in pursuing the promises of God, we start with him. We go to him. And then Moses. Moses does this. Moses is like a great leader. He, he says... Uh, I don't know. Let me get back to you. And he goes to God. You know, right down from that. He goes to God. Moses brought their case before the Lord. And, and God told him, he said, you shall give the possession of the inheritance among their fathers and brothers and transfer the inheritance of the father to them. Like, so they get it. But, but I love, like, they're, they're, this, the rest of this story is just, just so cool. You know, he says that he was not among the company of those who gathered themselves against the Lord in Korah. So this situation references, references a, a problem that came up that we didn't, we didn't go over uh, in Numbers chapter 16, but there was a situation where there was a man named Korah, and he, he stirred up a kind of a rebellious spirit. He got this group that was driven by pride and jealousy. They didn't like Moses. They didn't like how Moses was leading. So he stirred up all this strife. And there was a big issue just like that ebbs and flow of their, their you know, inconsistency and their faithfulness to their leadership and to God. But they, they were selfish. They were prideful. And so they're saying here, they're saying our father did not participate in this, you know, and I just love kind of the, the idea of this. Like they knew, they knew what was going on and they knew how their father stood firm. They knew how he was an example of not giving in to the rebellious spirit. Now, was he held out of the promised land with the collective? As remember, we talk about God's discipline as a purging and that was kind of that representation of that. So he would not see the promised land, but his family would. Because of his faithfulness. And so he says here, he says, our father did not stand among and gather with those people who rebelled against God and rebelled against Moses. So there's something to say here about how we as people, not only the people of our influence, but even more specifically our families as husbands, as wives, as men, as women, as we stand in the gap and we choose and we do things. That our people see, that our people know, that they know, listen, we struggled through things, but listen, we didn't participate in this, we did this. That they're having those active conversations, that they've seen us stand firm in our faith. Listen, it is very important that the people of influence around us see us, not for our own pride, but see us stand firm in our faith as an example later on. Like they're referencing this. Listen, our father did not participate in the rebellion. And so they're using that as an encouragement. They're using that as a platform to obtain and to lean into the promises of God. 
Listen, our faithfulness can be a platform that people after us can stand on. Our children can stand on our faithfulness. But listen, also knowing this, and I love how they they continue on. I love how they continue on. Because what do they say? He didn't die because he participated in that. But they do say this, and I think this is important for us to understand. They say, but he died for his own sin. He wasn't perfect, right? There was still something to celebrate about their father and his faithfulness and everything that he showed them, but he wasn't perfect. Listen, they said he died for his own sin. He had his own issues. He didn't participate in the rebellion. He didn't participate in this this act of selfishness and pride, but he died for his own sins. And so listen, there's that freedom there to know like, I mean, who am I to be an example of God's faithfulness or be faithful in my own sense with all of my issues? Listen, they say our dad had issues. He had sin. But God didn't give up. God didn't remove those promises. He didn't remove that. And they weren't ashamed of it. They weren't ashamed of the sin. And their father obviously wasn't ashamed of the sin in a sense to be very open and communicate with them to know, for them to know, first off, there were places at which he was faithful. But then there were other places where he had his own sin. There were things that he was navigating. Listen, so our sin should never be an issue that keeps us from pursuing God's promises. We have sin. We have problems. We have selfishness that stirs up from within us. We have pride. We have anger. We have lusts. We have these things that, can, that begin to try to imprison us. But the worst thing that we could do is ever allow those things to be a prison that we settle into rather than a platform at which we pursue God's promises. They use this. They use this. They say, listen, our our father did not participate in this, but he he did have his own sin. He died for his own sin. And they weren't ashamed of it because they knew that the sin of our lives is not enough to separate us from God's promises if we'll pursue him, if we'll seek after him. God has called us away from that. He's called us to something Greater. The father made choices, right? He made choices. And just like his, our choices matter. The choices we choose, the way we choose to live. Listen, there is something to say about this faithfulness that we try to live into. And we're going to fail. Listen, at the end of my life, I I hope and pray my kids can look at me and and say some of the same things about me. And say, listen, my dad didn't do this. He was good in this area, but listen, he had his own sin. He had his own things. He struggled, right? He had, he had mess, like that, that, I, that, 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 that they wouldn't you know, ever have the inclination that, that I'm perfect. Because if, they ever, if I've ever convinced them or tried to live as if I'm perfect, then I've failed them. Because then I've put this burden of like, well, I've got to carry this perfection on towards, that's not how that works. I want my children to know I'm broken. I got junk. I'm dealing with it. I'm messed up. I'm not perfect. I'm not a perfect father, not a perfect husband, not a perfect anything. But despite that, it's a platform at which I stand on and say, despite that, God's faithfulness does not stop and it doesn't keep me from continuing to try to be faithful to him. I'm going to continue to push forward. I'm going to continue to lead so that one day my kids can say, well, he didn't do this. He died because of his own sins, but 
We can move forward. We can grow towards God's promises and we can continue to be the people that he's called us to be. The father's sin did not disqualify the inheritance that was given to him to pass down to his family. And just because of our sin, the sin that we struggle with, the issues we have, it does not disqualify us from passing down the promises to the people around us. The thing we have to stop doing is we have to stop letting our sin be our reason at which we stop passing God's promises to people at work in our home, with our spouse. Listen, we've got issues. God outed every single one of us when Jesus died on the cross. He died for the world, for all of us. We're all messed up. We all have issues. Does it it give us an excuse to not pursue holiness? Absolutely not. But it's that platform at which we stand on and we go from and we grow from and we do what he's called us to do. I love, you know, I reference C.S. Lewis a lot, but he said this, he says, you can't go back and change the beginning. You can't go back and change the beginning. But you can start where you are and change the ending. And that's so powerful. And especially as people of God, if we are Christians, we have put our faith in Jesus, asked him to save us, and depended on him for our salvation, then we are embraced into the family of God and we become heirs of an inheritance that is ours to pass. Promises to give. Promises to communicate. Romans 8.17 says, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. I love that verse because it, 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 it makes very clear. Listen, there is heirs and inheritance and promises to be had, but it's going to come with some suffering. Right? It's going to come with some issues. It's going to come with some navigating, some struggles, self-inflicted and outside world inflicted. Like it's going to happen. 1 Peter 1.4 says, To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept in heaven for you. Talking to the people of God. Kept in heaven for you. And for these ladies, they just desired to share in the promise. This wasn't so much about land. This was not so much about land because of the way they approach it. We know that that the way God deals with it, we know that it wasn't this greedy nature about them. Because we've seen in the past how God dealt with their selfishness, right? He punished them. He disciplined them with their greed. He, He disciplined them. In this, he gives them what they ask for. Because God knows the heart. God knows our hearts. God knows our motives. God knows why we ask for what we ask for and why we seek what we seek. And when we come in humility, when we come in, in that, that, that humble spirit, understanding how much we need of what God has, and God is going to be there in the midst of it. Colossians 1.12 says, Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. That he has qualified you. You know, because that's a beautiful reminder. We have to know. The qualifications at which we step into the inheritance of God is not because of my resume. It's not because of the laundry list of do's that I've done and the don'ts that I don't. But it's because God, through His Son Jesus, qualified us who have put our faith in Him for that inheritance. Not by my ability, not by my strength, not by my knowledge, not by my wisdom, but through Jesus. Ephesians 1.11, In Him... We have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. The confidence of God's faithfulness reminds us of our inheritance. 
And this is what we rest in. So not only is persistent pursuit of promises something that helps us build our faith and lean into God's faithfulness, but it's also this. The second last thing being this is humility. Humility for God's glory. Humility for God's glory. And continuing on, we see another situation. And uh, we'll read in Numbers chapter 27, verse 12 through 14. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go up into this mountain of Abraham and see the land that I have given to the people of Israel. When you have seen it, you, shall also, you also shall be gathered to your people as your brother Aaron was, because you rebelled against my word in the wilderness of Zen when the congregation quarreled failing to uphold me as holy at the waters before their eyes. These are the waters of Meribah, of Kadesh, and the wilderness of Zan. And so what is he referencing right there? What's going on? So God tells Moses, hey, listen. Moving kind of to the later verses we read. Remember, Moses rebelled, and he was told that he would not enter into the promised land. Remember, he hit the rock when God just asked him to speak to the rock to provide water, that whole story. But Moses hid it, and he didn't trust in God's faithfulness and holiness at that time. So God said, as part of his discipline, you would not be in the land of promise. But he said, I am going to allow you to see the land. So he doesn't go up to this mountain. You can see out and see the land that God, you can see the promises of God for yourself. And he said, after you see the promises of God, he says, I have a task for you. He says, I have a task for you. And he tells him, you know, and Moses spoke to the Lord saying, let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation. And so what happens here is that Moses begins to realize and be reminded, yes, I'm not going to be the person to bring them into the promised land. And so Moses says, God appoint someone. He knows that this is God's intention is to appoint someone. You know, and so I started to think about that and think about Moses after all this time, after all he's did, after all he's done for the people. All he's invested, all that he's sacrificed, he's lost family, he's, lost, he, he, he's, he's been disappointed, right? I mean, he's, he goes up, meets God, brings down the Ten Commandments to find the people rebelling and building an idol and worshiping an idol instead of God. You know, just all the disappointment, all the issues, everything that he's invested in. How would we react? You know, we think about things like even church stuff, like you invest, you induce stuff and then you navigate situations of of disappointment or or things at work or things in your family. You pour in, you invest, you do only to find disappointment, only to find issues or only only to not accomplish what you want to accomplish or do the things you want to do. You know, and so being as Moses, like how would we react if God's like, now I'm taking this away from you and I'm giving it to someone else. I'm giving someone else the opportunity to see the promise fulfilled, to see the works that's, that's done, to see the, the fruit of the labor of what, even for Moses in the short time we've been reading in Numbers, the last 40 years of navigating this wilderness, this desert area, Constantly having to depend on God for provision, constantly having enemies to fight off and attack and defeat, being defeated sometimes and finding victory sometimes. You know, how would we react? You know, a lot of us, man, we, we hate to be undermined, right? We hate, we hate to be taken advantage of. We hate to feel like we've given to not receive. And so God gives instructions. And then I, I want us to read Moses' Moses's response because I believe it's such a picture of humility 
and how we navigate the spaces God has given us and the spaces God's put us in. He says this in verse 16 and 17. He says, let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. Moses wasn't angry. He didn't dispute with God. He didn't deal harshly with the Lord or even the person at which he would be passing the baton to. He stepped in line. He did what God, what was best, not for himself. He didn't do what was best for himself, but what did he do? He did what was best for those around him. If we could find within ourselves as parents, fathers, if we would find within ourselves to be this type of humble leader. Listen, because what I've learned about parenting and what you'll learn about parenting and what you'll learn about evangelizing and discipling and doing church work and all these things is that a lot of times, even in like the work that you do, like, you know, there's times that you do things and it feels thankless, right? It feels thankless. It feels like you're not seeing results. It feels like you're not seeing things come to be that which the way you think it should be. But I love Moses here giving, giving us an example of a true leader. He says, listen, it's not about me, but let me do everything I can to secure the future, to secure the promise for the people around me. Listen, we've talked about this before a lot of times. And I forget who, who said it, but you know that it's very likely that we are going to plant seeds that grow trees, that provide shade, that will never sit under. Right? That will never benefit from that shade. We'll never see the fruit of it. Because it's not the point. Us enjoying reaping is not the point. The point is doing. The point is providing. The point is giving up of ourselves, letting go, doing something to better for someone else, not to make me more comfortable, not to make me feel more successful. Because Moses very easily could have been like, ah, I've put in all this work, right? I've been walking with these degenerates for 40 years and they've not listened to me and they've rebelled against you and I've had to fight with them and I've had to hit rocks and I've had to drag them through enemy fields. I've had to do all these things, God, why am I not the man? Why am I not the guy standing up and everybody being able to see me as the leader, being able to see me as the guy who has accomplished it all? But that's not what Moses does. What does he say? God, I just want them to be provided for. I want them to have somebody that goes with them. I want them to have somebody that goes before them. I want to have somebody that, that they can depend on. I want them to have somebody that leads them into the promises of God. Listen, could we be as husbands, wives, as people in spaces of influence, could we be a people that lead in humility, not worried about our own status, not worried about our own stature, but in, in light of who God is and His faithfulness, pouring out over the people around us. Securing the promises of God by being present and being humble and not wanting to be at the center of it all. Moses shows a beautiful picture of humility and what true leadership looks like. You know... And I love this because it's not a strong-arm leadership that he's calling for and that God is calling them to, but this gentle shepherding. You know, he says that they would, may not be a sheep that have no shepherd. What Christ has called us to do as we lead our churches, as we lead our families, as we lead our friends, is to feed and lead. 
It's to feed and lead, to provide, to be there, to be a source of, of nourishment for the people around us, but not for our own accomplishments, not for our own notoriety, but for the good of those around us. And that's what Moses does. He says, listen, God, I'll do. I'll do whatever you need me to do. You being the God of all flesh, you know all people, you know all things, you know who they are and what they do. Whatever needs to be done, God, just use me as a vessel to help get it done and I'll pass it on. I'll do it. Because it wasn't about him. It was about what God was doing with his people. Moses begins to invest in the future of what's ahead, providing the necessary steps to ensure adequate leadership after him. And Moses is, there's so much about, you know, because even Joshua, and we may touch on this a little bit as we move forward, but Joshua is different than Moses, right? Moses was chosen and brought into this work by God directly. Joshua, who will be the leader after him, was brought in by Moses, right? It's just different. Moses was a Levite. He could go into the temple. He could go before the presence of God. Because remember, the Levites were the only people who could do that. Joshua is not. He had to go through a priest to be able to do those things. So they're just different. But listen, God's way, man, God's faithfulness should give us confidence as we continue to pour ourselves out for the good of those around us and the faithfulness of God in the lives of others. And so not only is Moses pointing to the person, you know, pointing to something more, pointing to another person, but Moses is also pointing to the person and work of Jesus Christ and the part that he plays in our lives. The part that he plays in our lives. And I want to end with this. Moses knew it wasn't him. Moses knew it wasn't going to be him. God reminded him, God had told him before, hey, you're not going to be that guy. You're not going to be the one to bring him into the promised land. But, and for Moses in this moment, it was easy because he knew it wasn't about him. It wasn't about him. He could give up the position. He could give up the notoriety. He could give up whatever came from stepping into this land that God was leading them towards. Because it wasn't about him. It was about pointing to something and someone greater. Pointing to something and someone greater. Someone, not even Joshua himself, not even someone limited by inability or dependence or sin or lack of strength or reach or power. He was pointing to someone bigger. He was pointing to Christ. He was pointing to the, to the shepherd, the, the great shepherd who leads gently, who provides. Micah 5.4 says, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell securely. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. John 10, 11, it says, I, Jesus speaking, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And this is something that Joshua wouldn't be able to do, that the leader after Joshua wouldn't be able to do, that the leader after him wouldn't be able to do. But every leadership transition in the Bible that you see, you see is a moment pointing to something greater. And it wasn't just to be, meant to be just a shuffle of leadership, 
But it's meant to point, continue pointing, these continued arrows pointing to something to come, someone greater to come, and that leader is the leader that we have the opportunity to enjoy this morning, the leader that we worship, the Savior, the Shepherd that we celebrate today when we sing about His goodness and His faithfulness, and that's Jesus Christ who laid down His life for us, taking all our sin, taking all our shame, taking all our mess, taking all the inabilities that we have as leaders to be the good shepherd above us, to make us the under shepherds to lead the flocks that we've been given. The family you've been given, the spouse you've been given, the work people you've been given, the classmates you've been given as students, the people we've been given to shepherd. We only are able to do because of the good shepherd who leads us. John 21, 15 through 17, when, when Jesus is talking to Peter, says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. The requirement to shepherd the flock that we've been given is loving the Lord, pursuing Him, seeking after Him. That's the only, the only stipulation. It's not having all the knowledge. It's not having all the ability. It's not having all the resources. But it's in loving God and allowing God. Because leading up to this point in, in John, Peter had failed miserably, right? What was the last thing experience we have with Peter in the book of John before this moment is Peter denying Jesus right in front of Jesus and then running away in fear and basically giving up on the ministry. He said, I'm just going to be a fisherman. I'm done. But Jesus sought him out. Jesus came running towards him, spoke to him, and invited him into the work that God knew that he could do. It doesn't matter for us. And we need to know this and remember this as people who are called to shepherd the spaces we've been given. It doesn't matter the mess we've caused for ourselves. The Lord continues to pursue us, to bring us into his promises, to pursue him and to shepherd the flock that we've been given. We've got to stop using the excuses of our mess to keep us from making the most of what God has given us, to shepherd and to lead and appoint our families towards Jesus. He's called us to do that. And listen, and we know that in this moment that God is pointing to something greater. As the, as the, uh, the worship team comes up, and we're going to worship here at the end, but, but I want us to see this first. Joshua in Hebrew is pronounced Yeshua. Joshua in Hebrew is pronounced Yeshua. The equivalent Greek name which the New Testament is written in. The, the New Testament, the Greek name for Joshua is Jesus. So when Moses is passing this on to the next man, this man to lead you into this promised space, Moses said, it's not me. I can't do it. But it's this, it's Joshua. It's Yeshua. And inevitably saying, it's not me, Moses, that brings you to the promises of God. It's Jesus. Jesus brings you into the promises. And like Moses, and this is where I want us to be challenged this morning, and then we're going to worship. Like Moses had to pass it to Joshua to bring the people into the promised land, so do we, church, 
so do we have to relinquish. Relinquish the power. Relinquish the authority to Jesus. Does God need us to relinquish anything? Absolutely not. But God has called us, church, to let go, to give up control. This isn't an, an, an intellectual bankruptcy like we have to stop thinking, but it's to stop thinking about ourselves as the center of the universe and start thinking about God leading us, providing for us, being what we need, leading us in paths that we desperately need, just like Moses knew. I'm not the guy to get the people to the promises. I'm not. I'm not the guy that can carry my family into the promised land. I'm not the guy that can carry myself into the promised land. But Jesus can. Jesus will. He says, I've prepared a table for you. We say this all the time, and I I love that the Bible uses this illustration. That he's prepared a table for us. The meal's prepped, the chair's pulled out. We just sit, and we enjoy it. And we pursue him in the midst of that that we would, for us, stop trying to lead ourselves into the promises, but begin to let Christ bring us, lead us, and provide for us into those promises. And so for us, maybe families, as as you're leading your your families, your children, your spouses, you know, I read this this past week, said discipling our children is not about teaching them to behave in a way that won't embarrass us. We're working towards something much more important than that. We're actually raising our children with the view toward leading them to trust and to follow Christ. That's what we're leading them towards. We're not leading them to ourselves. We're not leading them towards behavior modification. We're leading them towards Christ. And Christ will carry us in to the promises. Christ will carry us in with his faithfulness. Christ will reveal to us the paths at which he called us to walk. So church, could we this morning... Could you bow your heads with me and just pray where you are? And the the, the challenge being this this morning. As As you contemplate this in your own mind, kind of focusing in on who you are, where you are, and what you've navigated. Remembering that these people had made Many, many mistakes up to this moment, but God's faithfulness did not stop. And what did God's faithfulness continue to drive them towards? Pursuing him. Pursuing him and humbly pointing others to him. This is what God's called us to do. And so as Christians this morning, the challenge is this. For the believer. Acknowledging what are those things, those things of fear that are robbing us of the courage we need to pursue Christ? Is it our own sin? Is it the sin of someone else? Is it bitterness? Is it unforgiveness? What is it that is keeping us from pursuing Christ personally? And the second thing is this. What is keeping us from presenting these promises to those around us? Humbly laying these things out before the people that we have influence over. What is robbing us of that? Christian. And then the second thing is this, and we always want to create space for this. You know, as, um, you know, Garen's here. There are other people here that, you know, we would love to to speak. You know, if you would come this morning and you would say, I've never 
I've never given myself over to Jesus. Like, I don't know what that looks like. I don't, I don't know what that is, but I, I believe that God is beckoning me, bringing me into that. Like, God is calling out to me in a way that I've never heard before, and I've never relinquished that power of self. I've never rel- relinquished control. I've never given the reins over to the Lord and said, God, I need you to take control. I need you to lead. If, if that's you this morning, man, we, we want to have a conversation with you and pray with you about that. Talk through that situation with you. What does that mean, and what does it look like, and what are the steps forward to take to embrace it and to enjoy it? You know, we always want to celebrate the work of God in an individual's life, and so come this morning if that's you in confidence we come and we seek and we praise him so let's let us pray together this morning and actively seek what he has for us as individuals and how he wants to move in our lives let's pray father we just thank you this morning lord we praise you for who you are and what you do god i pray that in the midst of all our mess and all our struggles god that you would just reveal to us the truths that you've called us to lord and to know that the promises that you have for us, Lord, you've called us to pursue, no matter the enemy ahead, no matter the opposition, no matter the struggle or the issue that may try to keep us out, whether it's our own sin or the sin of others. God, that we would pursue you. God, we would not pursue you in pride, but we would pursue you in humility, knowing that everything we do as people, as Christians, as parents, as, as spouses, as church people, Serving in a community, God, we don't do it for our own glory. God, we don't do it for our own notoriety, God, but we do it for you. To point people to you, to point our children to you, to point our spouses and our friends and the people around us and our circle of influence to point them to you. So God, help us first off to pursue your promises in our day to day. And God, help us to have the courage and the humility it takes to point the world around us to you. God, we love you. Lord, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Church, stand with us and worship with us this morning.